$40 microtransactions and a PS5 Pro? You know, with the little three clap, the in the intro, I really missed the chance to reference friends and gain a whole <laughs> new crowd of white audience to just, you know, there no, we I go. do. You know, dance in a fountain <laughs> <laughs> with with a couch in the with fountain. A couch in the fountain. I'll be yeah. honest. Listen, I like Friends. It's totally our right show. If friends <laughs> exist. It's the thing. Friends exists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how I Met Your Mother, though. That's the uh, that's the show. That's that's my white people show. If we're gonna, if that's a thing, right? I am a, it's big, a show. I'm a your mother fan. Mediocre ending, yeah. but yeah, I can actually agree with there. <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world, but it felt very off the wall. But you know what? This isn't a show about how I met your mother or friends. I guess it's a show about friends. Chris, you're my friend, right? Yeah. You, you want to become a multi million paid actor and living in a New York apartment on what seems like paltry salary? Yeah, that would certainly be a pivot. All right, then. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me today is Mr. Chris Figs. How you doing? See, Saul wasn't here to do it for you today, so really threw you off. Uh, as I just mentioned, Saul's not here today. He had a prior engagement with his father-in-law that he already agreed to help on. So he's doing that, uh, and we weren't able to move the schedule around enough because Chris is going to go see the batman yes i am and i don't blame you homie it's uh it's so good i'm gonna go ahead and throw it out there if you have even the smallest shred of interest in that movie go see it in theater yeah buddy I'm looking much like to it. dune it is a theater watch yeah do not deprive yourself of the experience i go see so. a mediocre imax viewing again oh man yeah what was the, what was up with that you know it's awful I'm kind of glad we don't have something that purports to be IMAX, so I can't be disappointed by it. Definitely, yeah. if you paid more, if you paid more, oh than yeah, it was like else, double. And then it was like this isn't even really IMAX. I would be furious. Yeah, you know. No, yeah, for so, sure. It's like going to Longhorn Steakhouse and ordering a steak, and then then bringing out like one of those microwave Salisbury steaks that you can get at Walmart, <laughs> <laughs> but on a plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with far too much seasoning. It's like, hey, I thought you said this was a Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> no, so sorry. <laughs> You're in a Longhorn Steakhouse. Yep. Oh man, when when places when food places run out of food, it can get pretty interesting. <laughs> At uh, least locally, there was experiences of we're out of beef, but we still have to have beef, so we're gonna go get beef. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I've done that before. Yeah, kind of like you said. Uh, I got to go get lettuce. <laughs> let's do it. Let's go. All right. Chris, let's start this show off the right way. If you are new to the show, that's how we always started off. You can stick around. We will get into the community stake where we ask the community their thoughts on a subject. Typically, what we talked about the previous episode, get y'all's feedback to sometimes look and see if it changes our perception or the way we look at something um, or just allow us more time to kind of give you a more fleshed out way of how we feel uh, in regard to also airing how you feel. So, Chris, yeah, what have you been playing this week besides uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> 
Would you like to tell everyone how you became a Yu-Gi-Oh fiend in three days? Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, I always liked Yu-Gi-Oh, to be fair. I played it as a kid. I had some nice cards already. It it awakened something in you. Like your your eight-year-old self sprung to life when you were sitting across from me with a deck in hand, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I said to you when I was spending far too much money on Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I was like, well, I couldn't do it as a kid, so I might as well do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making it up to my eight-year-old self. Yep. Don't worry, bro. I got you. Cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, outside of physical Yu-Gi-Oh, I've been playing Elden Ring and Yu-Gi-Oh Master Duel. <laughs> Digital Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. 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 What deck did you choose to start with uh, in Master Duel of the starting uh, decks? Power of the Dragon. Mm, not surprised. I like you. I like Blue Eyes. It's a cool card. Yeah, Blue Eyes is sick. He's a good card. He's a you know good. Technically, at this point, a good archetype. Yeah, that's what yeah. he is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, what you said, Yu-Gi-Oh, and what else? I'm sorry, Elden my Ring, my guy. Elden Ring, my guy. Yeah. Yes. Where are you at in Elden Ring? Um. Well, I'm at the same place I was originally. I started a new character because I uh, oh, and worked your way back up. Yeah. So I think I'm a higher level, but I'm at the same boss. Finding this character a little harder. I'm out of. Maybe wanted to stick to it, but I'm running just a full strength and a health build. It's, it's been really good. I liked I like that game a lot. That game is very good. So before you were doing like a, a a build that was bulky, could take a lot of hits, but not necessarily dish it out as much as your current build. Well, I was playing a samurai, so it was a lot of dexterity and uh, and stuff like that. Bow and arrow involved been, in that class too, right? Yeah, and that was the reason I switched off was I wasn't using the bow and arrow, so I found it to be kind of a waste. Yeah. I mean, so I built uh Do you not think strength. you could have just used the bow and arrow out of curiosity, or did you not like the way it felt? I just did didn't like too- using it. There's no tracking on it, which is fine, but it just that that was the thing that took me out of it. I'm like, eh, there's no tracking. How am I supposed to hit all these things? Whatever, I'll just not use this. So then I I always felt like because, you know, in, in Demon Souls, in uh, the beginning area, Boletaria, there's the fire bridge where the dragon flies over and you can fight him. Anyway, if you go up to one of the top of the little, um, you know, pillars or whatever you want to call them, uh, the ramparts or whatever they are, you can go up to them and you can get a bow. And if you have enough arrows, you can actually continually shoot the dragon as he keeps flying over. And mm-hmm. you can only hit him like once or twice every time that he swings over and does the run. But you can eventually kill him and get something good out of it. But I remember even back on PS3 and then when they re- when they remade it from uh, Bluepoint for PS5, it's like the bows just don't feel good in those games to me. Mm-hmm. Like they feel underdeveloped in comparison to everything else. That doesn't mean that they're terrible. It's just I think of would I ever have an entire build of this? Definitely after playing something like Horizon where the bow is the exact yeah. opposite. The melee is not great. It's okay. But the bow is really solidly presented. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, I'm not surprised that it hadn't gotten any better. I still haven't played Elden Ring at all. So, that's disappointing. You should play it. I'm, I'm, I'm like 80% of the trophies through Horizon. It's, it's coming. Yeah. A day of, right. a day of reckoning is upon us. <laughs> so, rise we'll tarnished. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so no Destiny two, huh? No, uh, I mean I've been working so much this week that like there's just sounds like it. When I get home at one in the morning, I'm like I'll play an hour of Elden Ring and go to bed. 
Yeah. Oh, I don't blame you. I mean, considering, I guess, that your off day was Monday. Mon- <laughs> Monday? Yeah. <laughs> kind of ruined that for you. Yeah, a little bit. If it makes you feel any better, driving six hours pretty much there and back, more like seven, wasn't that great for me either. <laughs> oh, I believe it. At one point, I was following a different GPS route mm-hmm. than what I usually take because I was like, it says it's quicker by 20 minutes and I've already got tolls turned on, so I'm just going to live in toll world and just do what it says. And there was no gas stations for forever and I had to pee so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so bad. And you so, were in Texas, so like you can't just pull off to the side of the road and pee or some guy might just get you flat. with a chainsaw or something. Yeah, it's it's... <laughs> It's flat grassland. There's no trees, you know, right. and, and at least where I was in Arkansas, you just pull over on the interstate and go run into the forest, pee behind a tree. You're good to go. <laughs> There's also not a movie called Arkansas Chainsaw Massacre. So that probably exactly. helps. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I've only been playing pretty much Horizon. Um, I mean, in our typical Yu-Gi-Oh! I played a little bit of RuneScape, but since Horizon's been out, I've been mainly playing RuneScape like once a week, typically busting out a little bit of uh, questing on there. Um, but I was playing it a bunch prior. So mm-hmm. much like Destiny, I'm taking a break from it. But, you know, at least I'm still dipping in occasionally. I will dive back into Destiny pretty soon. I originally planned for it to be my Elden Ring stop off. But now I'm having this feeling of like, I want Gran Turismo 7 and I want to play it. But I'm not done with Horizon but also Destiny, but also Elden Ring. So once I get Horizon knocked out, it still feels like, do I want to juggle three games? Because I'm, you know, strategically, or rather historically speaking, I'm not good at juggling um, three different games at once. I'm not even very good at juggling two, but I think I could probably pull off doing either Destiny and Elden Ring or Gran Turismo and Elden Ring, and I don't know which one I want to do. I mean... I don't know. Gran Turismo and Elden Ring sounds like the easier two to mix up because I feel like you got to pay attention to, to Destiny a little bit more than like, oh, I'm going to drop in for a race or two and then go back to Elden Ring or, oh, I just got yeah. wrecked by this boss 55 times. I'm going to go do some races. Let me drop off to a race. Yeah. 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 I mean, the challenge is still there. It's just a different challenge because, I mean, mm-hmm. Gran Turismo is not an easy game, but it's uh, like you said, it's 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 more instinct than it is being yeah. completely presence of mind in the same way. Um, I'm interested to try GT seven at some point. So the, the main thing that's holding me off is that I still, and I, I'm, it's not gonna be anytime soon. Cause I'm broke after all the stuff <laughs> I was going to buy a racing chair. Cause I don't know if you noticed, I had my steering wheel set up while you were over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been playing dirt five with it, but it just, it's not right on that thing I have set up. I mean, that's like a, it's like a dinner tray with that on there. It's a little bit better than that, but it doesn't really work well enough. And I really want the extra layer of being able to use my wheel, but having it feel correct. So I want to get one of the fold down racing seats that has the attachment. So it feels like you're really in a car. Cause I love playing games that way. My dad has one. I'm thinking about in the in between being like, dad, let me just borrow yours, homie <laughs> until I can afford one. So we'll see what happens. But as you saw, I don't have a lot of room for that chair to just chill when I'm not using it. Yeah, you really don't. But hey, I'm it might be worth. I'm going to delete that computer in the in the corner of the game room and that computer desk and see if I can just stick it over there because my wife doesn't use that at all. So we'll see what happens. But do it. 
that's what we've been playing so far. I'm so close to that Horizon Platinum, but it, it leads me to a funny story. For some reason, and I complained about it in the Discord last night, there's these things called gauntlets in the game where you'll be playing mm-hmm. and you'll just see people like racing by on dinosaur back. Like, okay, you know, or robot back, whatever, machine back. And so eventually I completely ignored them for the whole story because I didn't care. And then I went to go do them because you have to for trophies. You have to complete at least two of them and win. Um, And it's essentially racing on machine back. But I already found way before this that during the story, I would often have issues with the machines because you'd be mounted on them and you would get like a foot and a half from a tree and it would just stop the machine or slow them down because it's like, oh, you're going to hit something. No, dude, I'm... I'm away from the tree. I'm moving. I'm just trying to walk and or the or boulder or whatever. And it got really annoying. So I was like, it seems weird to do a racing mini game in this when you can't even get it down for normal gameplay, in my opinion. Um, that's why, like, once they got to a certain point in the game, I was like, this is so much better than having to worry about these other mounts. But um, either way, I was doing it yesterday, and the way that it's all done is like fast and furious in. Horizon land because it's like these people are like we broke away stole the mounts uh, we just come out here and live for the thrill of the race and the taste of blood and I'm like okay and then Aloy's like I want in (laughs) it just feels like this really weird fast and furious thing and there's like this big bulky dude with like a helmet on so you don't know what he looks like and he's like a big racer who gives up his thing i don't know it's it's cheesy i don't care to see it through i did the two for the trophies i need but i was it was so janky it's like they could it was like battle racing so it's like you go around the tracks are way longer than i feel like they should be there's items hanging from trees so it's like a cart racer because you have to go by them but you have to hit a button to actually get them you can be shot or hit which interrupts you and if you don't recover fast enough and someone hits you again it can completely dismount you need to get back up and you lose a lot of positions but it's all just kind of janky and i can't believe that they would tie trophies behind it <laughs> it's one of those age-old things of like, I don't know why you even thought this was a good idea, but if you want to put it in the game, that's fine. Why would you lock something that plays like such ass behind trophies? I mean, I won first time on both. It's just one of those things where it's like, I didn't want to. I didn't right. want to try and do it any better. So we'll see. Did you platinum the first game? No. I didn't think so. Mm-mm. I want to platinum this one, but uh, we'll see how the Hunter's Trials go. So... Yeah. Oh well. I tried to go back and I was just like, I don't I don't want to play this. I don't really like this gameplay anymore. Which is part of why I, th- I haven't played much of Forbidden West. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I I definitely agree that Horizon One was like a I don't see how you could go back and platinum it. Yeah. And you know, that's very much a platinum it while you're in it thing. And that's yeah, why I'm trying to platinum place. this. Because if I don't platinum this, I think Forbidden West is a, a much better game across the board than the first game. But I still feel the same thing of like, once I'm done with it, I'm going to be done with it. So if I put it down now and be like, oh, I'll come back, I will not come back for platinum. It just won't happen. So we'll see what ends up happening with it. Oh, all right. Let's see. Before we hop into the news, let's go ahead and hop into the community's take. In the community's take for last week, uh, Chris had brought to the table the idea about Elden Ring's reviews and kind of the controversy or discussion, at the very least, that was going on last week surrounding Elden Ring's reviews and people 
talking about the fact that pretty much no reviewer at the time of the initial um, review embargo lift who released a review had actually completed the game. Um, and that brought forth some questions. So we asked you guys from that after we kind of shared our thoughts about it. Does it matter to you if a game is completed before its review? Are there scenarios where you think it's okay? Is it about transparency and making sure the review reflects that the game wasn't beat? Or should all reviewers complete games beforehand? Uh, and kind of a recap for people since 250 um, kind of came up later and was a very different way of doing the episodes. Chris, what was your kind of thought on that? Or, and has it changed at all in the week since? Or does it kind of do what most gaming news does and kind of just leaves the limelight and people stop thinking about it? Uh, well, <laughs> definitely leaves the limelight and people stop thinking about it. But I, my opinion hasn't changed. I don't think you need to beat a game to review it. I think you should, but I don't think it's a requirement. Yeah, I think that's very much where I landed too is... So long as it's clear in your review, review, then I don't really mind. But it depends on the type of game more than anything. Even then, I still think that most games across the board could be reviewed without being beaten. But ideally, you would beat them. Um, mm -hmm. That's before you get into all the time aspects of when you get the codes and whatnot. But I just think that there are games that are so story-driven that if the payoff is the story because there's not really gameplay in it, then I don't see like Doki Doki. I don't see how you review, review Doki Doki without beating it. That's kind of the crux of the game. Mm -hmm. I would so. agree. But it's one of those things where if I beat, if I, you know, put 50 hours into Skyrim, mm -hmm. but you put 20 hours and only beat the story, some people would take your review as gospel, but I played more of the game than you. You know what I mean? True, yeah, and probably experience more of the content that's actually going to make up the average person's 100-hour playthrough of Skyrim because, like you said, the main story is 20, 25 hours? Probably not even that. Probably, you're probably right, probably not even that because I know that I platinum that entire game whenever it re-released on PS4 in 40 hours. Mm -hmm. Which is insane. It took me 80 during quarantine. Part, part, of, its, part of its RNG of uh, the Thieves Guild that stupid trophy and whether you get lucky enough to actually get the right cities <laughs> on your RNG, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty rough. All right, let's see. Let's get some of you guys is saying the Lord Corgi, one of our patrons and listeners says, I think it would be better if we saw more reviews in progress. If the game hasn't been beaten yet, I know reviewers are typically crunched for time to get their reviews out by embargo, but I think the industry as a whole would be better with more transparency rather than just getting out a review to get the traffic to it. Kind of a catch-22 situation, but hopefully something that happens where there is a shift in review culture for the better. I pretty much agree with that. Uh, the big thing I would see is, is, like you kind of talked about, I think I even mentioned it last week, it's got to be an all or none, right? And even then, it's going to create this window where people feel like if I get the review out day one when everyone else says that they're going to hold off and wait until the game's beaten then I can say this is my complete review and they don't even have to be honest. You know, we have that right now, which equally weird culture. Chris, how do you feel about the people who go and like look at a review and then stalk down the reviewer and then like try and drill down and find their, their trophy history and to be like, they didn't even beat the game. Now, 
Um, or the occasional time where it's like they, from their trophy thing, it doesn't even show that they got past what would take the average person five hours into the game, you know? I think it depends because I think, like, I don't know. Like, it's weird because it depends on the game, but like, if you gave a certain game, I don't know, if you gave, like, I, let's say Elden Ring. If you gave Elden Ring a bad review and you didn't get past the first boss, I don't think you should be talking. You know what I mean? It's kind of that stuff. So yeah. I think definitely like, it's valuable to see like who people are. Like I, if it was me, I think all reviewers should have their you know trophies available, a trophy on teams for people to see. Not because I want to see how many platinums you have, but because I think it'd be like, okay, you don't like my Elden Ring six out of ten review. Not that anyone gave it that, but you don't like it. Well, look, I beat it. I finished it or I did. I got up to this boss or that boss. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I got little... far enough to have a, a, a decent opinion. It kind of reminds me and I don't remember if it was like an op-ed piece or if it was the legit review. I am really trying to remember, mm-hmm. but you remember the cuphead controversy where <laughs> Dean Takahashi. some, yeah. So was that an actual review or was that more of like an op-ed piece of like games are too hard? No, that was a, you're talking about when he couldn't jump over the he wall. Could, <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "This game is too complicated and too hard, and I can't." That was beat just the a preview of Cuphead, as far if I remember. Okay, that's what I was trying to remember. I didn't, I didn't think it was an actual review, but I remember that it brought down a lot of stuff of people being like, "What? You're down talking a game because you can't get past the tutorial?" <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, that's. I think that there's a there's a time and place to where op eds important, right? Because I don't think anybody would look at that situation. Or clearly they did, but I don't think that there's as much reason to look at a situation where someone look, says, hey, this is just my opinion. All I'm doing is talking about something I think is going on. Now, people can still challenge that opinion of yours, but I think that that same exact discourse about a game, that game being too hard to where you couldn't even get past the thing, which I get it in the game industry still kind of makes you look like, why are you covering games then? But that's a different discussion. But in that context, it makes more sense than in the context of a review. If this same guy reviewed Cuphead and then gave it a bad score because he couldn't get past the tutorial, that's not actually speaking to the quality or lack thereof within Cuphead. Rather, it's speaking to this very unique situation that this person had that didn't allow them to really experience the game. So thankfully, we don't get that a lot. Now, one of the things that uh, the Lord Corgi says in here is uh, transparency. And Chris, I think you saw a couple of them. I didn't read as many Elden Ring reviews because I'm trying to go in as blind as possible, which is kind of a little ruined by literally just seeing the game. But <laughs> um, at the time, I remember looking at it and pretty much every reviewer I saw mentioned that they had not beaten the game. That was kind of like the discussion amongst the reviewers, right? Yeah, which is the thing. It's like if you're if the whole point of your review is I really like it, but I didn't finish it, then okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's me, kind I, of where I'm at. I feel like there's borderline more value in a review that's like, listen, I didn't beat this game. It's very long, but I feel comfortable enough with the time I have spent to be like, you should absolutely play this. Yeah. Like I said, like in kind of, you talked about last episode of like, unless something absolutely completely off the wall happens which no souls game has done before right to where like the entire game suddenly just shifts like if elden ring isn't exactly what it is right here this open world soul style game 
if it's like that all the way until the final 20 hours of the game and then suddenly it's a 2D side-scroller platformer, then maybe you have something to talk about. But we kind of know that that's really unlikely. Now, now yeah. clearly, there are games that do these things, but it's unlikely. Yeah. And I mean, most games that would do it would you know, show their hand earlier than the last They would market hours. it on that to some degree, right? Right. Because the messenger well, does that. And it's, they, yeah. talk, they talked about that in the pre-release. Yeah. So, I mean, to that degree, I think that this is probably the Lord Corgi. This is probably pretty close to what you want. This is the idea of, even if they didn't call it a review in progress, I think that everyone had kind of given an idea of how long that they played. And for most of what I saw, it was pretty respectable. You know, most people in the 40-hour mm. range at the very least. Um, and being clear that they did not beat it, but still loved every second of it. And most of them hinted that they conti- they intended on continued playing it. So to that degree, I think that those... In this game's particular situation, I don't think any values changed. Um, over in the Discord, Jehudi MD, another patron, says, I think the best way to handle this is a review in progress, where the reviewer assigns a tentative score until the game is finished. That would mess up the aggregate scores on sites such as Metacritic, Open Critic, and it has to be a buy-in from all review sites to finish review until the game to not finish, I think, is what, until the game is finished, which will never happen. Yeah, that's, like I said, that's the problem, is getting every site to actually go along with it. But uh, I hadn't really thought about the the Metacritic, Open Critic thing of it. It'd be great if Metacritic or Open Critic could not accept a review in progress as something until it's actually done. But here's a bigger thing. In this situation, Chris, how often do you actually think somebody who did a review in progress would actually go through and finish it and then give a updated review. I, I feel like that's utopic thinking to a small degree because it's like, yeah, everyone's just going to be able to do this. I think games coverage is so crazy, definitely right now with Gran Turismo 7 and more hitting uh, <laughs> triangle strategy, that most people are like, I've got to, not only did we not have enough time, but now that the review is out, I don't really have the time to go back and dedicate to it finishing the review because it's not going to really garner enough clicks or attention to make the workload worth it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think review in progress is necessary in this is a specific in, scenario anyway. Yeah. Now to be fair, the question wasn't specifically about Elden ring. So to that end, if we're looking at it from a broader perspective where you can sometimes be talking about a game that's 20 hours versus a game that seems to be 80 hours, it's a very different ballpark, and I think it's it's a much so I'll just simpler clarify. ask. Unless your unless your game is a multiplayer game, I don't mm-hmm. see why a review in progress is necessary. I don't because all why would a review in, pro- in progress be necessary for multiplayer? Just so I understand that because you need because to play multiplayer with people. Updates? <laughs> Oh, you're talking about like, okay, pre-cover. Yeah, I got you. How can you review a game that's not out in the public if it's a multiplayer game? Well, as somebody who doesn't really play a lot of multiplayer games, do you, can you enlighten me on how that review process actually goes? I would have assumed, and maybe incorrectly, that there are essentially a a private server that's up for the game currently that all these people are currently playing on but can basically play with other reviewers. Yeah, there is, but you can't take into account... The like you couldn't review a Call of Duty multiplayer off a section of playing that game with twenty people. You couldn't. I mean, yeah, maybe not. I don't. I don't know. That's what. Go ahead. How could you? Because you you don't. 
have access to the public servers. You don't know if the servers are going to work. You don't know how the game plays with other people. Like, you can't... I don't think you can do a serious multiplayer review off, yeah, well, we played it in a private server. Like, that, I just don't think that makes sense because it's yeah. just too many factors. Well, and all of your variables are specific. Yeah, I get what you're coming from. Well, like, it's think specific about- to this isolated environment that's been created specifically for reviewers. Yeah, it's like something like like GTA Online. GTA Online would be a completely different game if there were no people to to run around that world with. <coughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> I mean, that might be why I didn't care for it cuz I played it on PS3 pretty early days and I was like, yeah, this is uh this is Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Online. Online. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really know when it blew up past that, but um, yeah. I, I, the thing is, I feel like most games, I do agree with you in the fact that I think most games, why, or at least why would it need to state review in progress as long as, for me, for me, the transparency just needs to be that you're clear in your review that you didn't finish it. Right. And you're clear why you didn't finish it is why you didn't finish it because in Elden Ring's case, the game was just too long and you weren't given enough time to be able to adequately do so. So you do the best you can. Or did you not finish it? And that's part of why you scored it the way you scored it. Because you were the game drove you away from it or couldn't hold your attention. Um, you know, that's, that's one thing that, like, back when we were doing um, spoiler cast, kind of this idea of, like, you don't really need to finish a game to talk about a game. I mean, no. you can talk about what drove you away from the game. You can talk about what kept you from coming back to the game. You know, I, I think some people might say, well, if you're going to take it upon yourself to review a game, that means you need to commit to completing it even when it doesn't speak to your sensibilities. But I think that that's a weird standpoint. I think if you play an hour and a half of a 20-hour game, and in that hour and a half you're like, everything about this game does not speak to me in any way that would drive me to want to continue playing it. So here's it. I think as long as your review reflects that and you go, Hey, I mean, I guess this is really the question that comes from that, right? If you found yourself in that situation, Chris, if you were a reviewer Mm. at a website or any of the media that does reviews that get added to Metacritic and you played an hour and a half of a game that you know is roughly 20 hours and you disliked it so much that you didn't play it, would you even continue to review it? At what point does the review become pointless because you were so driven off from it that it's like, why would you be the reviewer in that case if, if, if it just spoke so not to you? Or if the game was so broken? I mean, I guess in that sense, if the game was so broken it drove you away, the value of the review would come from talking about the fact that the game is that broken. Yeah, I mean, that's what it would come down to and i think i was having a conversation on facebook with someone i can't remember who it was off the top of my head but we were talking about like okay what do you oh you know, josh farmy yes, yeah we, josh can go, we can go talk about that one right now actually yeah sure feel free to read um, it up because i think that makes my point yeah let's uh let's bring that up so it started my buddy jonathan said at the end of the day the only key point in question that actually matters in a review is, did you have fun playing the game? Uh, and Josh Farmier had mentioned, not necessarily. People have fun playing Elden Ring. I guarantee I will not have fun in Elden Ring. And that spread a discussion of, 
him kind of describing it. So Chris comes and says, you know, reviews are opinion. If you had fun in Fallout 76, then you'd give it a good review. Unless you think reviews should be objective, which is a fair point, but completely impossible in practice. I'd give Witcher 3 like a 6 out of 10. Is my review fair? And that led to a discussion about the Witcher 3 and anything else realistically and about what makes a game good to an individual person. And Chris's response of what do you want on a review? Josh's response, what kind of gameplay it has? Are menus convoluted or easy to navigate? Is frame rate stable? Did you finish it? It will be different for every game, though. So I, what do you think? I think what he wants out of a review is what you get off the back of the box. So, I, you know, it's that's fine. But I think at well, that point, like you I don't mean, want reviews. Is it? I, I'm not saying I yeah. agree with his tone of it, but I don't really know that you can, or at least I'd say this, I don't think that the back of the box would be the trustworthy place to look at is frame rate stable. No, you know, sure, but I, that's... I don't think back of the box shows you whether menus are simple or convoluted, but to be fair, take the back of the box out of it. I think the spirit of what you're saying still is you can find most of this stuff out by just watching gameplay of it. Yeah, my point was more not that you'd literally look at the back of Elden Ring's box, but that all those are are that would be like going to a book and being like, I want the review to tell me how many chapters it has. You know what I mean? Like that's just a fundamental part of what the game is. That's I don't think that has anything to do with the review. Like, yeah, maybe a game with a bad menu system. Could be could be brought down like GT Seven. Apparently, has a bad menu system, and that yeah, brings it down for that, people. Actually. But <laughs> that has nothing to do with if the game is good. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Destiny totally for all the great th- things that Destiny does. Destiny gets like minus point uh, five points for having a cursor based menu system on a console. Yeah, but I there's <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know. I don't think. I just can't see how that influences your buying decision like i it was kind of when we were talking about the ps5 menu ui and i was like i couldn't give a crap if it looked like you know a dos launcher and just i had to type the name of the game i wanted to play in as long as it ran the games it's kind of the same thing i don't think what kind of gameplay it has or is it easy to navigate or that that kind of stuff that he was talking about and the stuff he wants out of reviews that's a digital foundry technical analysis. That's not a review. You know, they don't call them reviews. Yeah. I mean, I agree. They don't necessarily talk about what gameplay it has, but you can find that in such easy spots. Like, what kind of gameplay does it have? Look at gameplay, watch a gameplay video. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, is actually a lot of what he's talking about is the way that I determine when I want to buy a game. I don't really go off <laughs> of reviews, I go off of look at gameplay. What kind of gameplay does it have? Does it look like it's something that interests me? All right, that's step one. Step two mm-hmm. that I go through is if I'm still on the fence and day of launch has already come and I haven't seen enough to tell me, is the menu system convoluted? Which if you watch gameplay, you normally can see the menu system in action in most games. Um, then it's like if I'm still on the rocks and Digital Foundry is like, hey, we put out a thing to talk about how the game runs. And I go, you know what? I'll see more gameplay by watching this. I'll get a better idea of if the game's stable and actually runs well and if it's optimized well. And pretty much from there, it's a yes or no as to whether I'm going to be you know, 
moved enough to buy it there or if I have to wait until I hear more word of mouth around the game that pushes into what made me think I might like it to begin with. There's so many variables, but I don't know. I I get what he wants, but I agree that I don't think that that's a review. I think that's more of like a technical overview. Right, exactly. If you, for me, it's like if I'm going to a review, it's like when Elden Ring came out, I watched Skillup's review, ACG's sure. review, and then I checked what the IGN score was. That's all I cared about because I was curious because IGN's a big site. I was curious what the score was, and then I know what how ACG feels about games. And I know how Skillup feels about games, so I knew that if they liked the game, I would like the game. And neither of them That's, even use a scoring system. So the scoring right. from IGN was just more of like a what's the big site consensus just for the back-end knowledge. And then for the other two, it's like, these people go into the nitty-gritty of why I'd want a game. I actually think, and I'm not saying more people should necessarily do it, which I guess I kind of am, but I like ACG's reviews because of the way that it feels like a section-by-section review that's kind of closer to what he's talking about. Here's the gameplay section. We talk about what the gameplay is. Mm-hmm. Then we move on. Here's the sound section. We talk about what the sound is, how the music plays into that sound, what the sound effects are like, how do those jive in and boon, you know, give a boon to the gameplay experience to take away from the gameplay experience. Uh, and then from that, it's like, now we go into the performance section. The performance section tells me how stable the game is and you know, potentially what resolution it runs at. Though I noticed with ACG a lot more times, it's not like a, this game constantly runs at 1800p. It's only like, this game runs at a stable resolution that constantly allows you to see everything you need to see it's far more utilitarian of like what does the what does the end product you see on screen go i think that acg might be the reviews for josh (laughs) because it's pretty much that but interjected with his opinion on what it is well and i think me personally the most important part of his review is fun the fun factor fun factor and that's one of the things that i think was that caught me up on what he was what josh was saying is like is the most important part of a game not whether the person reviewing it had fun? Like I don't understand that that really that specific part of what the conversation the short conversation we did have was it was kind of like discounting is the game fun? Right? Because even like my point of like I don't like The Witcher, so I would give it a six, and that would be my review, and I could justify that. So you have to read my review and go, he didn't like it for these reasons, I might still like it, and you buy it. And, you know, he likes Fallout 76. I don't really like Fallout 76. But if I read his review, and then I buy the game, and I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, I see where he's coming from. thing is, like, you can't lie in your review, right? Or be wrong about stuff. Like, there's a guy I watched recently who did an Elden Ring discussion. He was like, yeah, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't swing to the left of your horse. It's like, bro, if you just hit L1, you would have swung to the left of your horse. You know, I think it's important to know, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. He played the game and he doesn't like it. Or this guy knows what he's talking about. He played the game and he does like it. You know, that's important. Yeah. But, well, you know, I, I kind of think I see where he's coming from in the sense of when you look at a fun factor and I could tell by the way he's talking about it, and you even said it, like, right, should reviews be objective and how that on paper seems like a great idea, but in action it just never works. I, I get the idea of what you find fun may not match up with what someone else finds fun. And that's why it goes back to that conversation we've had a few times about 
the value of finding reviewers, like you said, Skill Up and ACG, where you understand their taste in games, you understand how their taste in games lines up or diverts from your own and what insights they bring can still give you, even if you disagree with it, can give you value for what you might like or dislike about a game and then going that way. Because I think people who go to a site for the first time ever and read a review and don't jive with the person and think that the person's like, I didn't, this review doesn't tell me what I need to know. You don't know the person. You don't understand the person's taste in games. And that's important. Spending time understanding a reviewer like if you read a review and you actually like the way the reviewer was, take more time, dig in, find that person out, and then take that information and keep coming back to this reviewer and see how often that they you feel like you appreciate their insight and their input and then stick with them. And that's when it stops becoming, well, their idea of fun and my idea of fun are two different things. Well, if you understand their idea of fun and you understand your own and where those meet, then that, re- that review suddenly becomes a lot more valuable to you, much like you. If I'm interested in a game that I haven't decided to buy, ACG is one of the first places I go. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, it, because I know how he feels about games, and the only time I've ever vehemently disagreed with him is about Days Gone. Literally, yeah, it's the he's only wrong time. He's the it's the only time I've ever been like this man. I don't know what he was playing or what he was thinking, but we did not see even remotely close on this. But that goes to show the the human element of a review and the importance of it. And at the end of the day. Fun is a big part of that because how even if it's fun from like a the story was fun okay well the story is more subjective but at the same time this uh, your subjective take on whether the story was fun is important to your enjoyment of the game and my potential enjoyment so you know I I don't know the the real way to go through with this but um, I'm gonna do a couple more here because we did get a lot of responses to this so people clearly that are takes- into the yeah, they're they're clearly into the idea here. Uh, Rude Days ninety three, another patron. It looks like mostly patrons answered. Thank you guys. <laughs> he said, honestly, I don't really think it matters anymore if a reviewer finishes a game or not, because for a lot of games, the day one patch can completely fix a game. Days gone. Or with Elden Ring, some reviewers like ACG noted the day one patch basically broke the game and was different from what they played, making most reviews outdated. The user scores in Steam had mixed reviews because of this. If anything, the heat has to be put on publishers to make sure the games uh, are completely ready for launch and give reviewers ample time to to play the game the way it was meant to be played, but I doubt this will ever happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't really have much to add to that. That's pretty much exactly where it is. Good call, Rude Days. Um, I'm going to go over to Facebook real quick. we got a couple there. Um, the Ghost of Blake Pope says, it doesn't ultimately <laughs> matter to me, especially given the circumstances with Elden Ring. They had five days. This game is massive. 60 hours in, and I'm still finding new parts of the map, not counting dungeons and other stuff. Uh, so yeah, when you're looking at it through the lens of Elden Ring, I find it interesting that it kicked up controversy at all, because like I said, I feel like everyone was probably the most transparent I've ever seen the game industry be. Like, yeah, we yep. didn't beat the game, but also the game is amazing. <laughs> I don't really know what more you want from them. They told you, like, the one dude was like, I played, I was able to squeeze 60 hours in, you know? It's, we'll see. Um, so the last one I think I'm going to grab here. I'm going to grab from our buddy, Richard Schaefer. 
He says, wasn't this question asked a few episodes ago when discussing thoughts on the review process in general and whether or not reviews had an effect on purchasing a game? And to some degree, it was lightly explored. Um, But he says, I personally believe all reviews should be based on experiencing the full game to the end. If not, the review needs to specifically mention the hours spent playing and approximate percentage of completion. In a perfect world, Game should be completed, though. And I think he's kind of lining up with what we're talking about around the value of at least just being able to have all the data you need to help give context to what you read and how much you want to take that to heart. Like you mentioned, Chris, Skyrim is a perfect example of a game that most people jump in and play in vastly different ways. Mm -hmm. And if someone says, I completed the main quest of Skyrim, 24 hours, 20 hours, 16 hours, whatever it is, beat it, put the game down. I loved it for this reason, this reason, and this reason. As long as they're clear about that, that is a, that's a valid opinion about a very specific section of the game. And if another of you wants to go into, I didn't beat the main story because I got so caught up in the world of the Thieves Guild and what was going on there. And while I was trying on my way back to, to fight the dragon outside of Whiterun, I ran across the dark brotherhood. And then I decided that I wanted to see what that goes and it grasped me. That review is valuable in the sense that it shows you how much the extra content for the game can continue to draw you in and have its own complete story arcs. And did they really not complete the game just because they didn't complete the main story arc when the sub story arcs are all roughly similarly linked and just as well written and, and choreographed and acted out at some point they've beaten a version of the game multiple times over to your one in 60 hours Mm -hmm. and there's value to it. So yeah, I don't know if reviews will ever reach a point where they're perfect. I just think that as, as transparent as games reviews can be the better. And I thought the Elden ring, like I said, I'm surprised controversy came because for one of the first times in a while, I actually thought, wow, the Elden ring review is a great example of what I wish to see from game reviewers. Just be clear about what you have and haven't done in the game, and let me decide from there. There's only controversy because it's a 97 on Metacritic. That's straight up the only reason that anyone's even upset. I get it, because it's one of those once or twice in a generation review scores, you know? But yeah. at the same time, you call a spade a spade. If If people are giving it a 97 and have all these things without beating it, I don't really see how completing the game is going to honestly change that. That's exactly my whole thing with this. Like I said on the show last week, unless it ends with Hitler was right, blah, 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 blah. There is no ending that would make me go, oh yeah, the game is worse for it. Yeah. Yeah. And even then the game is, if the, the 40, 60, 70 hours they played up to that moment could still be great. And suddenly the whole game is just a little worse because at the end it decides to fall apart. But you know. it's not even necessarily worse because it's bad. It's worse because it's like, what the hell were you thinking? You know, not that yeah. Hitler is right was ever good, but you know what I'm trying to say? It's, yeah, it I doesn't understand. inherently make the game bad. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get moving on. We're going to talk about some news things. So I will tell you. Not a lot happened. The news is primarily just that big, long-awaited games released. Mm-hmm. And some long-awaited games released that don't seem to be doing very well. Babylon's Fall. <laughs> um, game looks bad. It does. 
<laughs> but we're going to start off with the first thing. PlayStation Now's March games were revealed, and Shadow Warrior 3, as was reported, is spearheading the lineup as a day-and-date release on the service, potentially pointing as something we could expect to see from select third-party games once Spartacus is fully uh, revealed and implemented, though that remains to be seen. Following up, that is Crisis Remastered, and everyone knows what Crisis is. I don't got to tell you much about that. A game called Relicta, or Relicta, which is a first-person physics-based puzzle game, which actually looks all right, and I quite like physics-based puzzles. Uh, and the bizarrely named Chicken Police, Paint It Red, which is a detective satire that mixes point-and-click adventure game styles with visual novel storytelling style. Uh, all are playable as of March 1st. I decided that I had to look at this chicken police game because I couldn't tell if it was one of those like really bad joke games or really bad games that seems like it'd be a joke, but it's really just a bad game. No, this is a highly rated game that has a very interesting art style and seems to be niche but loved. Okay, so I'm into it. What kind of game is it? point and click adventure you move you know you move around sometimes or you have these visual storytelling panels where you can kind of click on things and it'll open stuff and move stuff and you've got to find out these little clues by sussing through things and then talking through people and you have interactions that you can do with them like if you want to talk to them a specific way or if you want to point out something so it's very interesting uh visually and i'd be curious to see uh, if anybody plays it and goes around to it, if I had a lot of time right now, I'd probably be a little more likely to do it because it it looks interesting enough that I'd be willing to dip a toe in for free. All right, I respect that. Which is pretty much the the PS Now Game Pass promise, right? You see a game that you may not play, and suddenly you just go ahead and move forward with it because yeah, why not? I've got time because that's typically the the currency they're worried about most. Do you have time to make this service seem valuable? Um, so we'll see how that is. Uh, next thing up, Chris, as yeah. you already knew, Persona's 25th anniversary is this year. Yes, it is. And it's getting a 25th anniversary event in Japan. If you want to fly all the way over, uh, including exhibitions of reproduced environments from the games, one-to-one scale statues of some of the personas, um, themed rooms at the EJ hotel, which is the it's within the venue that they're using that you can book and more. These events are hard to tell if they are strictly celebratory focused or if a new title might be teased, but either way, it looks like a good time for hardcore fans who are either in Japan or willing to go to Japan. Definitely getting persona six after that. We'll see, but you're probably right. Let's see. What do you want to, you're going to throw a $5 bill on it? A $5 bill. You're going to throw a $3 bill, y'all? Yeah, I'll throw a $3 bill. Nice. All right, cool. Fred Durst, pay up. Uh, uh, Next thing up. (laughs) Look, let's take a step back. Yeah. Persona 6. Yep, hit me. Clearly, Persona, it's been long enough since 5 and a decent bit since 5 Royal. True. What do you even want from a Persona 6, if you had to like guess? Or do you think that Atlas has got it so down path that they're going to give you what you need and you don't even um, know anything about it? I want more Persona. <laughs> well, it seems like you'll get that. <laughs> That's all I care about. Give so, me a you, bunch of best you, girls and waifus. You loved, you loved Royal, doctors. right? I did. So since then, have you now that you have your Vita back or a Vita back, mm-hmm. have you thought about going back and playing Golden? 
Yeah, I've 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 played Golden. Oh, did you play it before Royal? Yeah, I played it a long time ago. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Okay, I guess I just see actually. Oh, you played Persona Four. Persona Four Golden on PC, yes. How? They released it on PC like a year ago. Bro, I forgot about that. I mean, you're you're totally (laughs) right. They 100% did. I know I'm right. I'm looking at the icon right now. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I completely forgot about that. Because I remember now that you say that, I remember people being like, and it still hasn't come to Switch. It's never coming to Switch. Probably right. As we've seen, PlayStation's okay with letting games they put some kind of money toward go to uh, <laughs> to PC, but that's about it. Needs Persona Six, PS Five, PS Five, Persona Six, PS Five exclusive. Absolutely. The the Persona team, Atlas, Sony buy them up. Uh, no, because Sega needs <laughs> them. Sega probably does need them. <laughs> It's either that or everybody at Sega is like, if we sell this team, we're going to sell it for enough for us all to retire. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, listen, if Sony came to them with like, listen, we've got like $4 billion for you. I feel like you have to sell it. <laughs> I if, if the Sonic property keeps actually doing well, they may not need Persona. <laughs> no. That movie. That, they, that movie that's a big so what good. if. That's a big what if. Sonic oh, wow. 2. Looks very good. Oh, it looks awesome. And depending on how the what's the the was it Peacock or uh, not Peacock mm-hmm. Paramount the the Sonic series that they're doing that they have announced alongside is it is it the, the same movie? character or is it a different like anime? Yep, Sonic? same character is what it, is what, it, is what it sounds like. It's gonna be Blue live Justice action. TV, dude. Let's do it. Maybe so we'll see. And if they actually manage to pull out a great 3D Sonic game. We might be there. We might have it. That open world Sonic game does look good. I hope there's strip clubs in it. Dude, if if there would have been strip clubs in Sonic Adventure 1, it honestly would have felt totally in like in line. There's like a casino and everything. If you could have just turned yeah. a corner in the casino and been like, oh, <laughs> here's scantily clad women, you know, just walking around. It wouldn't have surprised me. Turn your uh, chows into strippers. I mean, the president was in... <laughs> it was in Sonic Adventure 2. So <laughs> anything's possible. We'll get but a Sonic anyway. and Metal Wolf Chaos uh, crossover. Oh, man. We'll see what happens. I want to play we'll that see game. what happens. Uh, next thing up in the news, Capcom have taken to the official Resident Evil Twitter to reveal that the remakes of Resident Evil 2 and 3, alongside Resident Evil 7, will be getting next-gen re-releases later this year. Players who already own the titles will be eligible for a digital upgrade at no cost, which is a nice touch. And uh, that's pretty cool. They didn't give much more info than that, but it sounds like these will probably be full uh, full cost remakes or re-releases since they're doing free upgrades, which I think is a fair point for them. I mean, why is it really any different? Um, but Chris, yes, my sir. real thing here, this gives me the hope that I've always had because I kind of want to replay Resident Evil 7, even though I did it not long ago. I kind of want to replay it in VR, but as uh, we discussed whenever you came here and played PSVR in Resident Evil 4, I don't really want to play PSVR one. <laughs> yeah, it just is what it is at this point. I'm I'm so used to the quality of life changes that the Quest brings, and that the PSVR two is going to continue to expound on. 
that I can't go back. And then the biggest problem I have actually with Resident Evil 7 is that at the time when it was one of the first PSVR games and its controller use, the novelty was okay. But after playing Resident Evil 4 where you have full control of your hands in motion, I want to be able to play Resident Evil 7 with actual motion control and without the weird, wacky tracking of the PlayStation VR. So my real hope here is that since they're giving this treatment to Resident Evil 7 as well, that we'll either get a Resident Evil 7 re-release or update to support PSVR 2 at a higher resolution, just because why not, and with actual motion controller use instead of controller, since the new controllers are going to have the analog sticks that you need in order to move. That's the hope. It's the dream. That's the hope. I... I mean, I hope they do that. I'm just excited to play Resident Evil 2 and 3 again. Those games Look, are dude, great. They are great. But tell me right now, you know whenever you were here and how cool the feeling of pulling the clip out, shoving it in the gun, and clicking it back? Yeah. That was sick, wasn't it? It was sick. Imagine, imagine that in a game that's actually trying to be scary. Because don't wrong, I love Resident Evil 4. That game has never terrified me except for the Iron Maidens. Those are like the only thing in the entire game that actually make me incredibly uneasy. Um, And I would love to re-experience Resident Evil 7 as a whole to where I could actually see because of how they handle that game. Being able to do all the things with the guns and aiming and stuff would be sick and it would make that game infinitely more scary than it already is. Or tense. It's not that it's scary. It's just you dread you dread moving through the Baker house because it's like, yeah. I just don't even want to deal with the next thing. It's like my my friend who played it in PSVR and couldn't get past the door. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. You know, we, they had the, the demo for all that time where you could go and play. Yeah. Uh, and then they eventually added uh, VR support to the demo before the game actually released when they re-updated mm-hmm. the demo again. But I remember that first time, it's like doing all this is fine. The moment that you're in VR and you approach the door, it's like, this feels so much more, I have to deal with the consequences of opening this door. But here's the thing. Right. You still had that connect, that disconnect for me. And this is what made me still be able to play it in VR. That disconnect of the fact that it's a controller. If I had a motion controller in my hand and I actually had to reach out and squeeze open the controller and rotate it a little bit and then push the, push the thing... That would have been a way harder thing to get everyone who played that game to do. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise because people actually played it in VR. But if you really want a truly terrifying game, having me walk up to that ridiculous house after all the stuff that leads to that point and then getting to that door and having me physically open it, that would be... That would... Your heart would be like... Yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I need to get back into seven. I'm very close to the platinum on that. I might do it. And then you just need to do the speed runs. Yeah. I need to do the speed runs. I need to do madhouse. And those so are the, easy. That's what you do. You, just, you, you wait, Chris, you wait. And then when they announce PSVR two and announce that resident evil seven is either re-releasing and with a free upgrade path for current owners or something like that. At that point you go back and you platinum it in VR. <laughs> I mean, I'd get the Platinum in VR, but I'm already close to that PS4 Platinum, so I got to get that one first. Oh, you got to double stack it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, you can double stack. that's the one thing. Like, I think I'll do... I, w- I think I'll do Resident Evil 2 again, because Resident Evil 2 is awesome, and I had a lot of fun playing that game. Um, so long as it's actually a separate trophy list. That's all, That's going to be the only thing. It'll be a If they give it a full list. PS5 release. Yeah, that's that's kind of been the upside, right? Um, 
I mean, that's the thing uh, about Cyberpunk. You good? Yeah, sorry. I got a text from my uh, my brother who's next door, so I just want to make sure everything is okay. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, that's you know the the people talk about all the positives and negatives that come with like people for a long time are like uh, smart delivery is this fantastic thing, and it is. I'm not going to mm-hmm. act like smart delivery doesn't have its benefits, but the moments yeah, where it, it doesn't have benefits is for people who do love che- achievements and trophies. Mm-hmm. No separate trophy list. No separate achievement list. Secondarily, Elden Ring being one of these interesting things, and it, this is a real nitpicky situation, but for people who wanted to play Elden Ring at a rock-solid 60 frames per second by playing the PS4 or Xbox um, One, PS4 Pro and Xbox One versions playing through backwards compatibility on the next-gen systems, you could do that on PS4. On PS5, you could say, I'm going to download the PS4 version and play that one, but on Xbox Series X... You can't tell the system not to download the newest one, so you have to go through all these weird loopholes to try and play the more stable version because smart delivery and all of its glory and wonder doesn't allow you to either temporarily turn it off, turn it off for a single title, or select the game and say, I want you to run the code base for the Xbox One X version on yeah. the Series X to back its compatibility. So. I don't know. I like smart delivery, and I'm never going to say, like, I hope Sony doesn't do it. But I really like being able to be like, like, like I did that with Miles Morales, where I was like, I want to play Miles Morales again. You know what? I might as well get another platinum. So I played the PS4 version, just platinum that. Like, it was really fun. Like, yeah. I like that I have that option. Well, and like you talk about, like, for us, it's not for everyone. So that's clear. But for us, the the carrot on the stick of another platinum when you already want to replay another game it's even easier and you're like i already want to replay it but i can also get something else as an mm-hmm. end goal reward instead of just playing a great game again which maybe that says something about the fact that we have a hard time wanting to replay a great game <laughs> just because we can't get a trophy at the end of it all but if the game is good enough i still replay it anyway mm-hmm. or if i love the game enough i still replay it anyway Brett, have you ever so. played metal wolf chaos no, I have not. I really want to play it. I'm tempted. Uh, you, you know what it is? Yeah, it is an old Xbox game, right? Yeah, it's from Soft, and it's you play as the president of the United States, Michael Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just I just googled it. That's what I thought. Yeah, so it, I remember it being a mech game because it was back when they were still doing um, armored, you know, core armored core. Man, what a game! It looks awesome. Or what an idea for a game. Supposed to not it's not supposed to be very good, but it looks awesome. So Con- conceptually it's down pat. It's got Just it. Perfection. Independence Day, but instead the president gets in a mech. <laughs> the country is in peril as President Michael Wilson defends the nation against a full scale rebellion led by Vice President Richard Hawk and the mechanized legions he commands. As the 47th President of the United States, it's your sworn duty to take your country back by any means necessary and end this unjust coup d'etat. Battle in your advanced mech armed to the teeth across iconic American landscapes, including including the Brooklyn Bridge, the Grand Canyon, and the front front steps of the White House. Do you know what I love about this is that this just screams of a Japanese dude who is yeah. like, I really want to make this like this is the way I perceive America and the way Americans kind of 
project themselves out. And yeah. I just want to make this game about a president who's like, not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> it was like someone at my job the other day was talking about how, do you think that in Japan they have like American food places? And it's oh, like, yeah, like, oh, they got to walk in and they get their bacon cheeseburger loaded with nacho cheese or something weird like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, how do you use a fork and knife? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, all the novelty that we have, but just reversed. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, my pad or my french fries don't have enough salt. I don't know how I feel about this. I, I just, I love the idea, and I hope that it's the case, having not been out of the country. I love the idea that America is this weird, like, mm. there's just a bunch of different places that you go, and you're like, I don't really know what this is or how it works, but I'm going to do it. Well, I hope that everywhere has that. I hope and so I'm, I, I, I imagine that it does. But I hope everywhere has it because it's just a it's a cool part of life to be like mm-hmm. I live my normal everyday life, but I want to have the experience of being able to go somewhere that's a little odd and different to my everyday life and learn something new, learn how to, you know, I, I'm not big on sushi, but I've been working on trying to get to where I find some form of sushi that I like. And I, I kind of got it. to a point where I can eat it. Uh, very specific ones. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, there's a coolness to it. I, I, we have a place my wife loves because she loves uh all forms of, of Asian food. Um, it's Fuji's. It's like Japanese style food. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have like, they have a pretty broad menu. Like it's, it's focused on Japan, but you can still get like Chinese food to a degree and certain Korean barbecues and stuff like that as well. Um, and she loves it. And up until recently, I used to not go with her cause I'm not that big on it, but you know, I, I went to lunch with Saul one day there just to do it. And I was like, this is actually one of the best, places like this i've had mm. so it's fun it's a different time oh, yeah it reminds me of the, uh, the article i was reading i think i would have told you about it where uh you know how in america we have weaves mm. we have the, the weave in japan supposedly they have that but it's cowboys oh yes <laughs> it's like japanese yes. people in the cowboy hats and the boots like that's it's awesome yeah that's awesome carrying around I mean, a lasso it, or something it, it's funny because it's as inaccurate to my view of America and how my life is as most weebs probably think the actual Japanese lifestyle is. Well, it's like, because you're, you're you're looking at like microcosms of yeah. how these people act and you're building up an entire personality off of this one thing that you think defines a country. Like people who mm-hmm. are like anime defines Japan. Dude, there's so much more going on in Japan than anime. But you're hyper-focused on this aspect. So it's like <laughs> for the people in Japan who are like... Yeah, America, cowboys. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> true. There are cowboys in America. There are. Yeah, there definitely were. And and, and there is. Well, there's, there's, they still exist. Yeah. You see a real one every now and then. You're like, that's a real dude right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's probably got, he's <laughs> no probably got tuberculosis. Yep. He's got the he's got the consumption, the <laughs> um, but yeah I, yeah, I love that. I mean, it's it's a funny thing, and it's like for people who view stuff like that offensive. Like, I'm sure that there's someone out there that thinks like the way that weebs look at the Japanese culture as offensive. I don't think it's meant to be offensive. They clearly like the thing. They just have a very incomplete view of the territory as a na- as a nature of not being there. Yeah. We don't live in Japan. We don't really know what it's like. We have outside media that can tell us as much as they possibly can about the way that it is over there. You know, like if I'm being honest, I was watching sitcoms the other day. And I was like, if I didn't live in America, my current view in America would probably be that we're all just whores. Everyone in America is just whores that sleep around constantly. <laughs> but also <laughs> and, insanely prude. 
Yes, yeah, because that's what TV shows tell you. And like yeah. we use it as a joke because we know it's not real. It's just making it's punching fun at little things that certain people view. But if you were outside looking in and you had zero context about why we thought that was funny, you'd be like, "Oh, they think it's funny because it's exact, it's actually their life." <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's, I mean, online makes that so much easier to kind of help get a little bit better of a picture. But it's still an interesting thing to see how different countries view citizens of those countries uh, or of different countries. I just love that someone had the idea of being like, you know, we're going to, I guarantee, I made that Independence Day joke. I guarantee that someone watched Independence Day when it came out in like, what, 97? Yeah. And, and it was like, guys, we have a chance to make a game right now. We're going we're gonna to look at what we got from Independence Day and we're just gonna we're gonna look at that view of America, and we're gonna make a game about mechs in the same vein. It sounds like what you're saying is that I should buy Metal Wolf Chaos, and we should do the return of spoilers cat chats with Metal Wolf Chaos XD. Can you play it on computer? Because otherwise, I have no way to play it. It's, it's, on it's PS5. only available. Oh, it's on PS5. Oh, yeah. yeah then go for it. My bad. Okay. I didn't I'll realize it. It came back around. Go ahead. Let's do it. I hope that there's a presidential speech with the garbage 2001, 2002, three, whatever it be, voice acting, where they're trying to like give a mimicking moment of the president's speech in Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> if there's like, a guy who looks even remotely like Will Smith in that game, it's done. That game is just Independence Day with mechs. <laughs> that's that's my <laughs> that's my new thing. I'm curious about. Right, I'm gonna keep going while keep you going. Uh, apparently go buy uh, metal. <laughs> metal wolf <laughs> go, go chaos, baby. Yeah. Uh, next thing up, this has been a, a point of controversy to some degree as well. Gran Turismo 7's microtransactions have been a hot topic uh, on social media the past few days as the new releases pricing structure for currency bought through the PS Store has shifted dramatically from that of GT Sport. Uh, this currency is used in game to purchase cars that you'd like. And as always, that currency is earned in game. But like sport, you can buy that currency currency through the PS Store. Um, where this kind of comes um, into play is that people have issues that there are cars that currency-wise, if you wanted to buy the currency in order to get them, what would have cost roughly $6 to get the equivalent amount of currency in Gran Turismo Sport takes roughly $40 in credits should you choose to want to skip any form of grind or natural progression and just outright buy the credits. Now, Chris, before I say anything, I'm curious, what's your, because you're not really invested in Gran Turismo. Like, I'm, I'm going to get it. Are you going to play it just because you'll have access to it? Or do you even care? You're muted. Yes, I will definitely play it. Apologies. Okay. Uh, it's okay. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, my thoughts are complicated because I think this is egregious and I also do not care because from everything I was reading, the grind is not affected. The grind is balanced. So this is literally just, I don't want to grind for the car. I'm going to spend the money. And at that point, exactly. I don't care. Yeah. $40 is a lot. Don't buy it. Don't buy yeah. it. Like, well, yeah. like who cares? Yeah. See, this is my thing of, and, and this is why I want to be important with the way, or kind of specific with the way that I address this from my my potential, our personal rather feelings on it. Um, you remember, 
I've talked about it on the show. I've talked about it with you plenty in person as we've had conversations that I thought the pricing for items in Halo were quite high. And I felt like they did need to come down and they did eventually bring them down. They're still too high for me. And I don't have that. Definitely now I'm glad I didn't spend any money because I have not played Halo at all. (laughs) I still think it's a good game, but I've not played it. So point being, um, but I would have been a lot more willing had the price been low. Now, that's my own personal valuation of what's a low enough price to want to dip in and give extra support to the developers while not also supporting what I view as a bad practice. You know, I for me, I think it's bad practice for the developers to think that a $17 set of armor is okay when that's the only way you can get it. So to that end, where my feelings kind of come in on this is, is $40 a lot of money? Absolutely. But you've already said this is something that you can get in the game. The get the way the game gives you credits is really no different than any Gran Turismo that's come before it. Therefore, they did not affect the way that the game gives you this currency, so that they could therefore give you more motivation to want to buy it outright, like Assassin's Creed games did with Odyssey, where they cut the experience rate by roughly half, so that you would want to go in and buy the double experience rate for ten dollars, so you could play the game normally. That stuff doesn't appear to be happening here. No. And it's literally like you said, this is for the person who wants to jump into the game and goes, I already want to be driving this car, this car, this car that are legacy vehicles, and I want to spend $40 so I can go ahead and get it and immediately start doing sports-style races. And I don't really see that as a problem because like you said, if you want the cars do what you've always done in Gran Turismo and just play the game and get the credits to buy them mm-hmm. with the very normal you know, uh, rate of credit accrual. Or if you just want to come into the game and drive the exact car that you want to do the exact type of races that you want, spend the 40. I don't care. Yep. It's the fact that there is options here that make me not really care. And the options are not so unbalanced. You're like, well, you have the option to earn it in game. It makes me think of like Warframe. Have you played Warframe at all? Uh, very little. Okay, so Warframe's thing is every single thing you can buy in the game, you can also get for free in the game. And that's pretty much literally everything. You can buy skips to make building weapons faster, mm-hmm. or you can just wait for 48 hours until the thing is built. I don't care, but in Warframe, it takes way longer for you to earn these things or get the things as it would do if you just decided to outright buy them. That doesn't seem to be the case here, but Gran Turismo 7 is not a free-to-play game and Warframe is. So in context, the level of outrage I have towards them adjust accordingly. I don't really care that it takes that long in, in Warframe because it's a free-to-play game and at least they're giving an option to get it for free. You can literally play that game without ever spending a dime. Yeah, you know, if you paid, if Gran Turismo Seven had all the same things, but it took for it was free to play, but it took forever to build enough credits to get a car, then again, it feels balanced. But if it took forever to get a car, but you paid sixty dollars for it, and then it was still way off on your credit approval, then I care. But that's not what's happening. So this just seems like the Twitter sphere and the online sphere is just kind of blowing up over something that they're not going to even care about in a week. Kind of like I talked about with Elden Ring. This where feels it's like pop up. And then it's going to fizzle out. So here's an example. Maybe this is a bad example, but this is how it clicks in my head, right? I'm trying to lose weight. This would be like me going to a plastic surgeon and being like, how much is liposuction? That's too expensive. It's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the doctor looks at me and goes, all right, then my guy, go to the gym. Like, Just that's, lose the weight, Robbie. You got right. this? Like, <laughs> it, it's not, the pricing this is, is the, egre- yeah, the this pricing is, the is egregious, but it's not, it's a shortcut. Exactly. And yeah, compared to GT Sport, like, sure, it sounds like garbage and I would be kind of upset too. But at the same time, it's like, listen, you don't need to do this. Play the game. Play it. Just play it right. I will say if you if if your first foray like if you bit your teeth into Gran Turismo Sport is your first real Gran Turismo thing, I can understand how this feels jarring. Sure, but the but the reality of it is is that there were six Gran Turismos before this that always act, always worked this exact same way, and now they've just given a secondary option to skip if you really want to do it, and now it's egregious. Not really, no. you know. That's 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 my feel on it. Yes, it's expensive, but there's nothing that's there's really nothing pushing you to buy that unless you just want to be lazy. I actually really liked mm-hmm. your liposuction. That's a that's a perfect thing, like bro. <laughs> but I like what do you mean it's four thousand dollars or you know what, what do you mean it's a thousand dollars? I don't actually know how much liposuction is at all. Neither <laughs> do I, but. but regardless, l- going to the gym and losing weight is significantly cheaper. And probably healthier and more rewarding than getting liposuction. But if you want liposuction, big homie, I don't mind it being there as an option. Exactly. I'll never pay for it, but I mean... That's exactly it. If I really want to play with a freaking, I don't know, a Batmobile in Gran Turismo, and it's a $40 buy, that's a decision I have to make on my own time. (laughs) Definitely when you could just play the game and earn the credits to buy the Batmobile. Exactly. (laughs) So, oh no, you get rewarded for playing the game and getting better at it? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Egregious microtransaction. What's more funny to me is that there's going to be someone, I guarantee you, who buys Gran Turismo. This is one of their first times even doing it. They buy $40 worth of credits to buy this card that they want, and then they suck anyway because the <laughs> game is about knowing what you're doing. Well, and, and for the record, this is, is they are very high prices you're not going to see me be like no this is a totally normal fine prices but again yeah go to the gym you know you know what's more interesting about this is that the cars in question here that people are really looking at it i would imagine if from what i've looked like it looks like it's typically the legacy vehicles and in this game there's the thing in real life is called haggard pricing where they go through and based on how the market shifts for them the value for these cars changes mm-hmm. in gran turismo 7 the legacy car's price changes in game in real time based off of the actual real life market. So if the real life market says this legacy vehicle is this much more or this much less because of supply and demand, the in game thing does that. So a car that could have cost you $40 a week ago may double up to, hey, now it's an $80 credit, you know, if you wanted to buy the equivalent credits because this car has gotten really big on the market lately or you could spend $40 to shortcut through to a car that in two weeks ends up dropping down to $30 worth of credits or $20 worth of credits you know what I mean mm-hmm. so it's it's very interesting I I think it's fine because if you're playing the game and you're not spending the money you have no reason to be mad you're like oh I'm just earning credits okay I've earned enough credits oh look by the time I earned enough credits the car went on sale and it's three you know three billion less credits than what I had than what it was so we'll see. Moving on. Uh, some PlayStation fans are wondering if a recent discovery of, quote, prototype video game consoles, end quote, shipped <laughs> from Sony's London headquarters to Virginia back in November of last year is evidence of a PS5 Pro. 
while we'll never actually know what this shipment really was, I think it's a pretty safe bet that this is PlayStation VR 2 related as the timing and then the timing of this year focusing on PSVR 2 as much as they have seems to be in line with each other. Um, But we'll see in the long run if a PS5 Pro ever does come, which leads to the question, Chris. Yes, hi. Do you think we'll get a PS5 Pro now that that precedent has been set? Yeah. What do you think will be the biggest difference? Uh, like, you know, like last time the PS4 Pro was like 4K gaming that they don't have that now unless they want to say that this is native 4K across the board with 60 frames per second. That might actually be it. It might be that the graphics card is pushed up just enough to where it's like, you know how all you who love performance mode love the 60 frames per second. Now you get that with native 4K, homie. Do you think that's the that's the push? Yeah, I think it's locked 60 4K. That's what I would say if I was to guess. Man, lock sixty four K though. Even on a uh, even on a PC right now, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard and it's very expensive. I'd be really curious to see how they actually pull that off. Because you know the trick with PS four Pro is like you have checkerboard rendering that can get you to a four K, as I like to call it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's not real, you know. And you can see, like, a good example is, like, you know when I was showing you 60 frames per second Horizon for that little mm-hmm. stint? The mm-hmm. problem that comes from there is that that game doesn't use temporal um, upscaling to get back up to 4K. Instead, it uses a checkerboard render to get to 1800p and then scales that up. So you see those checkering artifacts scale up, whereas in a game like uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, when its um, performance ray tracing mode was essentially 1080p, with 60 frames per second ray tracing, it didn't look bad in 4K because it upscaled in a different way that didn't show that artifacting. Um, But you don't have that way anymore, right? Like even on PS5 right now, if you want 60 frames per second, resolution has to take a hit. I don't see how they do that. I don't know, but I can tell you I noticed immediately when I turned Horizon on again, so... Oh, did I ruin it for you? No, I was still able to just play it, but it definitely was immediately noticed that it was in six times anymore. Now that I'm doing trophy cleanup and I'm not doing the story, I turned it back on 60 frames per second. It feels much better. Yeah. But there's times where I'm like, this looks significantly rough. uh, Again, in context of what the game can look like, it looks right. a lot rougher than it did while I was playing it. And now whether that's because it's side content and side content isn't given the same fine tooth comb as the main story, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. But even just running around the world at certain times, it's like, oh, yeah, this is notably a little more rough. Yeah. So yes, what it is. I see you deck building in there. What you doing over there? Oh, I'm just playing with my, my, my foils or whatever these are. Your my sleeves? Plastics, my sleeves. Yeah, I got some nice Egyptian ones. Yeah, you got the glass got, boys. I got more of the beautiful little beautiful Happy Mascarina. Yeah, I got her card too, actually. Yeah, yeah. So she's a good card, actually. Nice centerpiece of my uh little girl here. My books. <laughs> All right, let's see. Next thing up and last thing, PlayStation Productions have finally found a partner in the long revealed twisted metal adaptation that stars Anthony Mackey. <laughs> the show okay. will be coming. Yeah, the show will be coming to NBC's streaming service Peacock and is being described by Sony Pictures Television Studios Jeff Frost as quote high action comedy, end quote. 
before I go any further, mm-hmm. I I don't get that billing. I don't get how you promote Twisted Metal that way unless they're going to do a big change to Twisted Metal. So I'm very curious to see how this ends up. Yeah, it's hard because I think this music, movie will be probably pretty good. But I don't know. I'm not a big Anthony Mackie guy, so... I don't mind him. That's actually not really a problem, though I do, now that this is for sure happening, but again, they're calling it a comedy now, which makes me kind of go like, what do they mean by that? What do they mean by comedy? What about Twisted Metal, definitely at its most popular iterations, what about Twisted Metal is real comedy? If, at the most, it's like black comedy, where it's very dark, and it's like a twist of words and stuff, but that's more of when Calypso grants the wishes and they're never quite what you think they're going to be. But I would, if you actually told me like, what's a tone that you think Twisted Metal would have? I think a surrealistic, a surrealistic darkness would be what I would call it. Like it's dark, but it's not like over, overtly realistic. It's still surreal, but it has a dark tone to it. And I don't, I don't know. Twisted Metal Black is arguably the most popular Twisted Metal Sold mm-hmm. the most, all that. I would have thought that that's what you look at. That's your blueprint for tone, and that was among the the most serious toned and and dark of the iterations. So that seems weird. Either way, there's no planned release window or additional casting announced at this particular time. But those will, of course, come in due time. Um, my my real question here, outside of it being billed as comedy is I find it really interesting that this show has been talked about for more than a year at this point Mm -hmm. and that it's been looking for someone to partner and be the, uh, you know, distributor for this and, and, you know, give the funding since it's been initially talked about and announced, it's never actually been fully announced as an in works, the greenlit series. Now it is. This comes after Uncharted releases and finds actual success, do you think that this partnership kind of was reliant on whether Uncharted was a, a good performer or not because they needed to see if PlayStation Productions was actually going to be able to tap into what they think they were going to tap into? Um, I think it depends. I mean, I, I don't know. Because Uncharted was greenlit like 35 years ago. So it's hard it's a hard well, question. It really wasn't though. They they kept not you know it's been talked about and cast much like what's happening here, right? There's a script, there's a there's people that are working on it and there's a cast, at least one person cast, right? Your head star with Mark Wahlberg back in the 2008 <laughs> 9 whatever it was, they first yeah. announced the uncharted idea of it becoming a movie, but it never really went anywhere because nobody ever picked it up is one of the things. True. That was a big deal. It never got picked up. Nobody ever actually believed in it enough to do anything. Now it happened. So this is really the first time that PlayStation Productions has put anything out that had real weight behind it. You could look at like, well, they made Ratchet and Clank, but Ratchet and Clank really wasn't a show of that. So this is the first real look at can... Is Sony's thought process that the gaming industry and the gaming IPs can transfer over and actually be successful work. And then Uncharted shows that despite critics opinions on the movie, the fan uh, opinion and turnout to the theaters has been higher than I think anybody, definitely me anticipated. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think for all the things people say about Tom Holland, he was he was always going to be a driver for people coming butts and seats, uh, man. Exactly, people were going to sit in those seats for that beautiful boy. Yeah, I've been really interested to see in the mindset of this that how well Uncharted has been received. And that, for the most part, people who already liked Uncharted and expect something of the IP enjoyed it. I did as well. But with the caveat that whoever wrote that movie Mm -hmm. does not understand the character of Victor Sullivan at all. Yeah, I've heard that. And I'm glad I saw Colin because I saw him post and he was like, they don't understand. I was like, I'm glad. As soon as I walked into that movie, I said, that was not Sully. That was a guy named Sully, but that wasn't Victor goddamn Sullivan <laughs> <You know? laughs> that we all know. That wasn't him. I was like, he's not that dude. This movie sells this character as something that is inherently not him. N- you know, Tom Holland's Drake, I can see the Drake in him. Chloe, right. even though they make they make newer changes based on the fact that this is 12 years after the original Uncharted, 13 years, they make references that make it make more sense in our modern era. But I still was like, that is Chloe. I like what they did with Chloe, Mm -hmm. regardless of the fact that it's still not quite, but it's, they understand who Chloe is as a character and they translate that accordingly. And then you have Sully and I'm like, this is a, this is just a guy that goes by this name. So in the next movie, I think that their real goal should be to try and change that, but we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy for PlayStation Productions across the board because if Uncharted would have failed, I almost wonder if PlayStation Productions would have just closed down, been like, "Hey, we're not doing that anymore." Sorry, guys. I doubt it. There's there's so many movies that they can make. Whiffing on one, I don't think would stop. I their really plans. think they wouldn't have shut it down because of the fact that The Last of Us is already in production. Realistically, if Uncharted failed. And then they didn't greenlight anything else until after The Last of Us hit. If The Last of Us would have failed, then I think it might have happened. That's my genuine, real thoughts on it. It's not like they would have folded before The Last of Us comes out. They're already too invested in The Last of Us. True. You're not wrong. So at this point, at this point, they may stop greenlighting anything else and go, it all depends on what The Last of Us does for us. And if The Last of Us can be the proof in the pudding, then maybe it would have been that we don't do movies anymore. PlayStation Production does long-form TV shows of our IP, which I think is probably the real right move. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it's not going to happen. Um, that's all the news for this week of any value. Chris, Yes. do you have, you have anything stewing around in that brain of yours that you want to talk about that's not necessarily in relation to the news? Honestly, not really, no. Me either. Yeah, there's not much. Most of, most of where I've been right now has been oddly focused in movies. <laughs> yeah. I, partially because of the Batman being so good. Um, and Uncharted being better than I anticipated. So as much as we've been talking about it, and I'm sure some people are probably tired of it, I actually have been enjoying kind of really kind of looking at what's going on with PlayStation Productions and what might happen with it. Um, what's your uh, dream PlayStation Productions? Give me the movie. Give me the casting. Man, it's it's hard. I don't think it's going to be a movie. I think no matter what, my dream PlayStation production is, all, in all honesty, is going to be long-form TV. Okay. Who? Now, Should here's my me. problem. It's money. Money is always the problem. Because you have to have a big enough budget to make this worth it. True. I think that there's so much rife to do with the world of Infamous 
and Infamous is just realistic enough and really looks at itself in that way typically that I would love to see that explored. Probably with a new character at this point because you have all these new powers. You have all these powers you could potentially look at since the idea of a conduit gene gives everyone their own thing. But my worry, and I, I say this as somebody, I, I, I give you preload because I think that you like them far more than I do. All of the CW superhero shows make me not want this because of the fact that I think all of those are so terribly done in terms of the actual production quality. How well they're written and how well the characters work out is completely out of my mind. I can't visually watch those because they look god-awful. And that's kind of where my disconnect happens. So I don't know. I don't disagree, but I don't agree either. Who would you cast for your infamous show? Mm. Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, but I'm almost not even against it. No joke. I think Tom I Holland like Tom would have. Holland. If they were like, hey, we're doing a new infamous show with Tom Holland. First of all, that's an even closer pull to the Spider-Man of it all. That might be why they don't do it, though, to be fair. Yeah. Um, no, real, really thinking about people that are going on right now. I think T- Timothy Calumet or however you say his name. I think Chalamet. he would be interesting. Chalamet is that how Shalom, it's said? Shalom, Shalom, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure, that guy, Dune Man, <laughs> Dune Boy. I really, I really liked his performance in Dune. I think it was nuanced enough to give you what you need from something that's trying to be trying to look at the moral gray area, like Infamous when it was good. Did I mean I love Second Son for reasons that don't have to do with the way that the story plays out. Um, but Infamous at its best is all about looking at the moral gray areas and how you determine what's truly good and bad. And I think that that's, that can make a great TV show. And I think you see that to a degree, right? Like you see shows already pulling that off to a degree, like The Boys. I think if you look mm-hmm. at it and you make a gritty show, like if for, for all my hate against the, the CW shows, if PlayStation Productions is like, we want to make it gritty and realistic and good effects like The Boys and then explore our power sets within what people who are swinging towards the more evil side of this gray area and the more good side of this gray area and what they do, the boys might be the closest to that, honestly. (laughs) I can see that. Uh, But yeah, I think Infamous is really... uh, I think Infamous is just ripe with possibility, as most superhero things are. True. Relating to Infamous, I was wondering to myself the other day, Sony's deep in with Marvel, right? Do you think okay. that they make Infamous a Marvel character and cross them, cross them over with the MCU? Not the MCU, but like the, I, get, I guess, ICU we'll go with, or IGU, Insomniac Games Universe. Oh, because dude. Wolverine and Spider-Man are in the same universe. Yep. So those... I, all I'm gonna say right now is if that Sony and and everybody found a reason to make it work, I see no reason that you could not pull off Cole or a new character. But here's the thing: if it's this is the real thing, if it's not Cole or mm-hmm. Delson, if we're just being honest, or Abigail uh, Fetch from uh, from uh, Second Light, uh, First Light rather, um, I don't know that you'd even need to call it anything in relation, right? to that because if we're being honest as much as i love the conduit thing the conduit is just the idea of the x-men's um mutant gene but that it has to be activated by a certain event it has to be activated by 
some kind of power thing that goes off and and gives you this power. Um, and it's something that lays dormant in people until that happens. So in that sense, I don't know if it's not going to be an existing infamous character, what is the value of saying that this is even infamous? You know what I mean? If they're sure. just going to bring in a new character, then he's just a mutant. He's not somebody with a conduit gene because the conduit gene is just mutant. So then it's like, why don't you just let it be X-Men? And Wolverine's already that. Now, if you, if you get ballsy and you decide to take a little liberty and you decide to say that conduits and mutants are both form. Mutants have an active version of the conduit gene that manifests itself without anything, and then the conduit gene is one that has to be activated through some kind of physical trauma or something, and you put them together, and then you have it to where Cole is a new member of the X-Men. I know most people would probably flip their shit because they're really protective of the Marvel IP. I would be all over that, buddy. I'd be super Repl- in. Re- Replace Storm. Throw me in a oh. throw me in a coal. <laughs> That's where That's you gotta ball. be careful because uh, people like Storm. <gasps> I don't. I do. don't. But I know they I do. don't care for her. But I don't yeah. know. I was definitely thinking about that because I was like, that'd be kind of cool if it's like, okay, Infamous is a is a Marvel character now. Even if you did the thing of like. Sony wants to be like, hey, we want to work with Marvel Comics to do an infamous comic. It's like, okay, well, they're in that. That's now a Marvel character in some sort of way. So, could be cool. Yeah. See, my thing in times and and going back to what I was just talking about there, right, with this idea of like, how do you introduce Cole? If you have a Wolverine, right? If you have a Wolverine uh, trailer going on, and then Wolverine. Depending on how they do it, if Wolverine actually tries to bother itself with the X-Men at all, or if it tries to be very focused on just Wolverine as an individual first, um, would be the big thing. But eventually, you remember the God of War trailer, right? Yeah. Uh, when they first showed off God of War 2018, and no one knew what it was. You see this little boy in this funeral pyre, and you're looking at you like, what's going on? And then you see a big silhouette crack open the door, and you hear a voice, and you're like, is that Kratos? <laughs> and then it is Kratos. That's what I was. Lo- that's what I'd be looking for. You have a silhouette of somebody walk through a door, and then you see like the you know his his weapon from Infamous Two. I can't think of what it's called right now. Um, it extend. What is it? What is it called? His weapon. Yeah, in Infamous Two, his he, he, the Zeke names it whenever he gives it to him. It's a cattle. No, I mean it, basically, but Zeke gives it a name. Hold on. Oh, I don't know. Cole's weapon in Infamous 2. I got to know. It's going to kill me if I don't. Uh, I got to know. The amp. It's the amp. Yeah. Um, you see like the shape of the amp's handle sticking up, and you don't know exactly who it is. You can't tell, but you have little ideas, and then suddenly you just hear Cole's gravelly voice being like, did you ask for something? You be- Dude, I guarantee you that you would have the same level. If you did this at the right thing, like a PlayStation event or something, you would have the same level of fan reaction from PlayStation fans. People would be like, ah! It would be amazing. Oh, the room would be electric, pun intended. <laughs> I think so. I, I I think they'll bring back. Uh, well, I guess that means that we can Cole. go into the fact that right now there is a rumor that you sent Ooh, to me. A rumor that there is not only a new infamous game in development, rumor, rumor, but also a new Sly Cooper. Correct. <coughs> correct, Amundo. Well, correct if that's the rumor. Not correct if that's actually what's happening. We'll wait and see. Exactly. (laughs) 
the, the rumor, rumor kind of talks about this idea that this PlayStation event that's coming is going to have a handful of PlayStation secret things that they're working on that are bringing back some of their beloved IP. And that even if we don't end up seeing both of those there, or one of them at least there, that we might see them at another event because they have so much going on where they're bringing back IP. Which kind of leads me to my first point of potential disbelief. As much as I want that to happen, Sony seems far more interested right now in leveraging new IP because their last few new IP have been incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. Horizon, incredibly successful. Days Gone is probably the one that, for whatever reason, is looked at differently. But Horizon, 20 million units, Ghost of Tsushima hitting 8 million and probably going to go on to break 10 million and already getting its own show, Horizon getting a VR game. They're looking at getting new IP that can strike, hit hot with the first game, and then continue on. They don't want to do their, well, the first game wasn't as beloved, but the second game suddenly got there. You know, like Uncharted 1 is not the game that got everyone diehard Uncharted fans. Uncharted 2 is what got everyone to be diehard Uncharted fans for being realistic. So they don't really seem like they're into that anymore. So I don't know, because Infamous was never that mass success, right? It was always kind of this more smaller niche classic that everyone loved who played it. So I don't know. And the last Lock Cooper game sold like less than a million, if I remember correctly. And I loved it. I thought it was a great game. I mean, it had a couple of issues with the world at large with it, but it had a lot of great ideas and mostly executed them well. So I have a hard time believing it. I'm not a huge Sly fan. But I do like Infamous a lot. So if there's one they're, they're going to bring back, punch, I hope it's Infamous. What, what does that mean? Like, why are both of the rumored games Sucker Punch IP? Because uh, I think I think Infamous, the fact that they dropped Infamous is, is insane because this is the time to do freaking uh, superheroes. I don't think, here's the thing, I don't think Sony dropped Infamous, but clearly Sucker Punch is like, we want a break. And I don't blame them. Three games and two DLCs is a lot of infamous. It is. But I'm really surprised. And I appreciate it, though, too, that Sony wasn't like, we're, we're going to immediately give your IP to someone else. Sony seems to create to have a lot of care for like, well, we want... If we, if we decide we want a new game and someone brings a pitch, we kind of want the blessing of the original developer. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that end, the question is, is if a new infamous is in works and it's not a remake of one or two, which that's a different ballpark because a remake can be done by anybody as long as they understand how to do a remake. But if it's a new Infamous, it's going to be someone who understands what makes people like Infamous. And I don't know. Because clearly they thought they had found that with uh, Sanzaru Games and Sly 4 and it did not translate to sales. Yeah. Well, I just don't think... I don't know. I think as much as hardcore Sony people like Sly, I don't think it's that important of his character. Personally, I don't. Um, yeah, in terms of important, I mean, I love them. I think that those games are fantastic. One, like two, two, and two is honestly my favorite one. Two is such a good game. Mm-hmm. Three is still great, and four has really great moments as well. I think three and four are pretty tied for me personally. Uh, one's a great game that has a very different idea, much like Infamous Two and Infamous One. It's like that they jumped to two for those each respective series. Things changed a lot, and they really found the core of what they wanted those games to be. Um, but across the board, I, as much as it pains me to say, I don't think Cole's that important of a character. I don't, Delson is, is incredibly less important of a character. Mm-hmm. Delson's one of the worst characters I've ever had in the game. I cannot <laughs> believe they went from Cole, who is a great character, who didn't get as much recognition as they may have hoped, to Delson, who got more recognition but was a, 
across the board worst character in every aspect. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's ooh, I don't know. Yeah. I guess look, let's let's leave the community's take. What is if this is true? If this rumor has any form of truth to it at all, that Sony is really interested in bringing back certain legacy IP. What is the single IP that you hope they actually are doing this for? Infamous. Unless you can think of a better one, but I, I think that that's a good one. And no, I like I'll tell you, t- top top of my list. That's tr- that truly has a chance of happening. It's probably infamous. The order is there, but I don't know who you give the order to. That's that's the problem. Do you ask ready? Do you ask Facebook if uh, or Meta if Ready at Dawn can take two years? I I really wonder would Facebook go for it? Maybe I if, can't. if Ready at Dawn has enough teams and they're like, hey, look, we just want to contract your team out to make this game. I wonder if Sony. I mean, I wonder if if Facebook would. Meta, I think they. I think they would try. They would whether now, Sony is willing to pay for that. Ex- exactly. Whether Sony wants to do it or not is a very different question. Um, but people have been talking about that for a while, right? Like, well, Ready at Dawn got bought up. I do agree that Ready at Dawn's clear care for the world they built matters, and I don't know if that's going to be picked up and treated the same by another developer. Though that fresh burst of air actually might be, do wonders for it, but. Across the board, I just I still don't know who I'd really trust to give it to. I think everyone would say Naughty Dog, but I don't I don't know I don't I don't think so. And Naughty Dog clearly I, is so caught up in other things that I almost think Naughty Dog might consider it like a, a hit to them that they were asked to do. I was going to say I think that would be they would be insulted by that. Insinuation. I don't know though because Naughty Dog was very impressed with the order. And when you actually like talk about like the developers talking with developers and mm-hmm. Neil talking to uh, uh, Rue Rosario or whatever his name is, who's the uh, studio head for them, uh, from a sheer studio level and what they wanted to do and inspiration and stuff, Naughty Dog was clearly an inspiring factor. And then they went further from that. So I could see it, but I just, I don't think that the studio heads necessarily, I don't think Neil would be like, this is an insult. Maybe some of the employees might. I don't know. It just depends. In the long run, we will see. You're still muted, by the way. Just letting you know that. I'm back. I've been here. You had, to puff to that, you. Had, to, had to puff that stuff, didn't you? I did, yes. Had to rip that dip. Rip, rip <laughs> that dip. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. What are those little candies called that you dip into the powder? <laughs> Is it a rip and dip? Are you talking about dipping dots? No, no, it's like a powder. It's like sugar, oh. and they give you a sugar stick that looks like a tongue depressor, and you lick it and you stick it. I know it what you're sugar. talking about, but is I is it can't called think a rip and dip? Name. It might be a dipstick. Okay, hold on. Oh no, hold on. Rip and dip is that shirt company that has the cat that's always flipping people off. <laughs> you, you can buy it at Zoomies. It's like a. Regardless, now, now hold on. Candy stick, you dip into sugar. I gotta know. Fun dip, Wonka fun dip. You fun have to rip the top sense. though. Those should have been called rip and dip. That'd have been really good. No reason not to have. You you've wasted your potential, Wonka. <laughs> your chocolate factory will suffer now. The wonky right, decision. <laughs> yeah, buddy. You asked me, so I must ask you. Okay, hit me. What is your what is your ideal PlayStation Productions pitch? 
Um, I think PlayStation's got this really cool character they just put out a game with in 2018. Uh, Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Dude, if, if, if the next Spider-Man movie says PlayStation Productions, I'm going to laugh so hard. That I don't think be, it will. That would be, it won't, but that would be funny. It won't, but... Um, no, unless the next Spider-Man movie is a live action or a live action adaptation of the Spider-Man from the Insomniac games, but I think that yeah. they'd be fools to do that if I'm being honest. No, uh, it's hard because if you look at just exclusives, I feel like there's not much anymore. But I, th- I wonder if PlayStation Productions would be like, okay, we really want—I don't know—we really want to make a Grand Theft Auto movie. Or we really, you know, or we really want to do an Alpha Protocol spy thriller. Not that they would, because that's an Obsidian IP. But also, if they wanted to do that, if they really want to do a spy thriller, they have Siphon Filter. If they just want to dig into their own IP, well, there you go. Then they should make a Siphon Filter game. That would be sick. Or a, a movie. A movie. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but you know, it would be a really great one. Uh, mm-hmm. How about a Days Gone Sons of Anarchy type show in the zombie apocalypse? Why not lean into it, right? I mean, if you're going to be like, because like that's what Uncharted is. If you're going to make an Uncharted movie, mm-hmm. when Uncharted is clearly inspired by Indiana Jones, right? Then why not just say, hey, yeah, we were clearly inspired by Sons of Anarchy. We want to make a TV show just like that. That's just, I mean, if you're not going to use the IP for the gaming world, might as well at least see what happens on the screen. Yeah, or just I mean, give it to CD Projekt Red so somebody can make the goddamn sequel. <laughs> Just do it. That's kind of, or just buy CD Projekt Red and be like, so and then let them do it. I know you wanted to buy Days Gone, but how about we buy you and let you use it? <laughs> Here's the problem with that, though: spending more money to still let somebody make a game you didn't even want bend one of your cheapest studios to make is <laughs> probably not going to happen. Well, if we're being honest, if we're looking at would you buy that studio, you'd buy it for. Not that specific thing, but you'd buy it for uh, Witcher and Cyberpunk and apparently some expertise on making the buggiest games of all time. <laughs> well, to be fair, that and Days Gone, I've got a, gl- a lot in problem from a lot in common from those early days. Touche. Yeah, I'll give you that. You know, in, in really thinking about it, as much as Infamous is there, if you gave me a sci-fi movie that decided to actually push in. I think that you could do a resistance movie that's edge of tomorrow styled out and have a sick movie. Oh, see kill zone. Well, that's what I'm about to say. If not resistance kill zone, but kill zone is the human on human element of it. Whereas if you want that more edge of tomorrow alien aspect where it's like, it's dark and gritty, but it's human survival against something else. Resistance really fits that kill zone. I think being so dark as it is, could make a really gritty war movie and just be realistic with it, but also have it be like, we're on another planet. We're dealing with the rough conditions of this planet. What's that, uh, what's that movie, uh, Fury, that has Shia LaBeouf and Brad Pitt and everything? Give me that style of like gritty and real and dark and looking in at what's happening in a war and do that with Killzone 2 on, on like, you know, give me more of the war on uh, Hellgas, like the war on that actual planet on Helgen. Mm-hmm. Um, and just show me like what happens when you have these soldiers having to do this. I think that'd be sick. I but, watch it. You know, I I don't know if you're not again. I think if you want to look at if you don't want to make new games for certain IP, 
at what point is it not like, well, at least let's just use the IP because we own them to explore TV shows, which could be significantly cheaper. If you don't want to make a 200 million kill zone, fine. Can you make a 50 million kill zone series? Yeah, maybe. Definitely could try. Maybe. I yeah. would be into it. I would imagine that the return of investment is a lot lower. You know, the risk of it is a lot lower. So who knows? We'll see. Anyway, Chris, I think uh, you about ready to wrap the show up from that. Yeah, I'm good. All right, man. Enjoy the Batman. Uh, oh, I you. look forward to hearing. I look here. Look, look forward to hearing from you when you leave the theater. I hope that I get even a remotely similar reaction to what I gave you guys. Yeah, <laughs> you were hyped. I was so hyped. We'll do a impromptu midweek or something. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> we'll figure it out. Anyway, Chris, thanks for joining me. Saul will be back next week, everybody, or at least he should be. Uh, so. As always, if you want to be part of the community's take sections and answer with what is your one PlayStation IP you want to come back from the grave if they really are doing this, uh, then you can follow us on social media and answer there. We're on trying. We're on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. We're on Facebook in a group called Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. If you ask to be entered into there, we will gladly accept you in. Or you can always go to the Discord, which is disc- linked in the description below. There is a communities take section where the question will be asked and you can answer it. And then there's a communities take discussion area as well, where you can discuss your thoughts with other listeners. Uh, we look forward to seeing everyone's answers. And if anybody new wants to come into any of those avenues, mm-hmm. we look forward to hearing from you there. You can find the show. If you're listening to it, you can also watch it on YouTube uh, every week. Or if you're watching and would prefer to listen to it, you can find us on all podcast services. So share us with your friends, let people know, what you like about the show. Let us know what you like about the show. Give us a review if you're on a service that will let you review. Let people know if the show is good, bad, worth their time, or just downright ugly. But (laughs) (laughs) until next week, this has been episode 251. Thanks, guys. And as always, we want to shout out our patrons who allow us to do this show without having to dig into our own pockets. If you want to become one of those, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month so that you can support the show with more than just your time, which we were always so grateful for. Just like our friends, the Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Rob Warpoint, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Joshua Lago, Kevin Bacon Bits, Luke Rabbit, Danny Villiobos, Solitary Red, Jehudi MD, Sean, Derek Porter, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Sanderud, Stephen Salazar, Shadowist, and my name is Dan. Thank all of you. Thanks. Goodbye.